Hello, everyone, and welcome to After the Final Whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington. I am your host, the one and only Brad Clear. Uh, this is our first show so far from the uh, spring semester. Um, switching it up to a new time, Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m., Switching it up from the Monday 6 to 7 p.m. time slot. And starting this semester also, I'm going to start um, recording the show through software on my computer. Uh, and we'll be uploading it to podcasts.com. Um, that's just podcast.com. You would go to the search um, engine, search little tab, and search after the final whistle. You'll be able to access this episode and every other episode moving forward. Uh, once again, my former co-host Aaron Somo uh, has moved on from Elon. He's currently uh, transferred to a school in Chicago, so he um, will no longer be my co-host. It's just me riding solo now, so you just get to hear my beautiful voice. And for all the new listeners that will be listening just through the podcast, you can expect to hear the really the show for the thinking sports fan. You know, you'll be hearing we'll be do I'll be doing previews for seasons, going through every single team, analyzing trades draft picks, getting real deep into it. Uh, lots of wrestling talk and UFC talk, NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL. Anything that's relevant, you're going to hear it here, and you're going to hear the most in-depth, informed take and opinion on it. And what better day to have our first show of the entire semester than one of my personal favorite days of the entire year, and that is the NBA trade deadline, which came and went this afternoon. And boy, oh boy. Personally, for me, I was expecting um, yesterday for this trade deadline to be sort of quiet and then for there to be one really big trade. Um, and for the most part, I would say that there was a lot more noise than I had expected. Um, obviously, the big story of the day, and let's just get right into it, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yesterday, I was texting a bunch of buddies about the NBA trade deadline. I have a good group of friends. We love the NBA. And... I basically said at one point, um, I'm totally, even though they won their game against Minnesota last night in overtime with that incredible shot by LeBron uh, at the buzzer after he had blocked the shot uh, by Jimmy Butler, I thought that there was going to be a Cavs roster purge today. I didn't know to what extent they would be able to turn over their roster, but obviously you could tell that it was in need of a revamping, of a retooling, of a reboot because the team was faltering losing games to teams they had no business losing to, blowing 20-point leads to the bottom five in the league, Orlando Magic, um, and losing by 16, having players talking to the media, especially one player, who I'll get into in a second, who was talking a lot to the media, ended up getting traded today, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, they just needed to reboot it all, and that's exactly what they did. So let's get right into it, the Cavs. Um, I finished class today around like 12 o'clock, so I was looking at my phone to see if anything had happened, and the first thing that I saw was that the Cavs had traded their 2018 first, which will probably end up being between 24 and 28, I would suspect. Um, because with all their faults, even with this new group they have, they're still going to be at worst the three seed in the East. Um, and so they sent that along with Isaiah Thomas, who had become, you know, I, I hate to use this term on a player, but he had become a cancer within that locker room, and he was not producing at all on the court. He didn't score in the second half of the entire game yesterday. He was obviously the mole or source to Woj when they were at their darkest times and losing bad games and talking about locker room chemistry and whatnot. He was beefing with Kevin Love when Kevin Love was producing and playing at an all-star level prior to his injury. 
you can't have a player talking to the media, criticizing coaches, criticizing his teammates' ability to deal with adversity and whatnot, and he can't even produce on the court. So they traded Isaiah Thomas, they traded Channing Frye, an expiring contract, and the aforementioned 2018 first to the Los Angeles Lakers for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. So I like this deal a lot for the Cavs and for the Lakers, dependent on what they do with what this trade could potentially allow them to do as far as cap space and free agency is concerned in the next two years, it could be great for them too. From the Cavs standpoint, I look at it in a simple in a simple way. You upgrade Isaiah Thomas, a negative presence defensively, who is not getting anything done offensively. He looks washed, and he looks like damaged goods and is not fully recovered from his injury. Well, by this point, he should totally have done so. He was exposed for the flaws in his game. He was not able to cover up those flaws like the Celtics were last year. You upgrade from him to Jordan Clarkson, a guy who can play at the one or the two. Um, he can handle the ball. He can shoot. He can play make a little bit, and he can score. Um, I think that's an upgrade. He's taller. He's about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so you'd be able to guard two different spots. He adds a lot of defensive versatility to go along with the playmaking ability as well as the scoring ability. And he'd really not really had a lot of pressure or ample minutes or consistent minutes with the Lakers this season just based on, you know, Lonzo Ball, um, having the ball in his hands a lot. You could tell that we'd, we'd known the Lakers were trying to move Clarkson in the effort to clear cap space for players such as LeBron, such as Paul George's upcoming offseason, such as DeMarcus Cousins. And we had really thought that it would have, you know, there had been rumored the last few days that this was going to happen. Larry Nance was included as a sweetener within this deal. So it was Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance in the deal. And it's pretty impressive, I would say, for the Lakers, a team who was looking to offload Clarkson's $12 million salary. He's making 12 mil this year, and he will for next year and the year after that. A substantial amount of money for a player of his caliber. He's probably more suited to be making probably about eight, nine, ten million. And they attach Larry Nance to it. Larry Nance is a good, young, athletic power forward. He's a good rebounder. He plays above the rim. Uh, he's a very, very hard... He plays hard. He plays with energy. He plays with hustle. He plays with a lot of youth and vibrancy. He's a live body. You look at the Cleveland Cavaliers team, you don't have many live bodies on that team. You had a lot of guys who were older, a lot of guys who weren't very athletic or explosive. Nance is that. He's young. He is an RFA this coming off season, so uh, you could potentially keep him, and you could potentially let him go. You can match any offer that comes for him. Still a young player. His dad used to play for the Cavs. I love his fit there. He can play some five, make their lineup really try to be as versatile as possible because he can guard fours, he can guard fives. Um, so I like him there a lot. And as I said, Jordan Clarkson, I think he could very well end up being a starting point guard or shooting guard on this team, dependent on what the lineup that Tyron Lue chooses to go with um, moving forward after all of the moves that they made. You upgraded from Isaiah Thomas to Jordan Clarkson on the defensive end substantially, and offensively, you some would say, oh, Isaiah Thomas, he's a better offensive player than Jordan Clarkson. Isaiah Thomas didn't contribute any points in the second half of their game last night and was not contributing a significant amount to their offense as a whole for really the entirety of the time that he's been playing since he came back from his injury. So I think it's an upgrade on both ends of the floor. And then Channing Fry, at this point, he was just a big who could shoot threes and was an expiring contract. And you have Larry Nance, like I said, a young, vibrant, athletic, explosive young body who can really fit with their team and could be a piece moving forward. Love it a lot. So you upgrade two spots, all at the expense of a draft pick that'll be a late first, 
which is not a substantial player. Like you look, you you hope for a rotational player at that spot. And for the Lakers, you move the twelve million dollars that you were going to have to pay Clarkson this uh, next summer or in twenty eighteen summer and twenty nineteen summer. You have by trading him by taking away Larry Nance's cap hold and potentially what it would cost to re-sign him. You intake Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye, two expiring contracts, which for all intents and purposes here, Isaiah Thomas was nothing more than an expiring contract asset rather than the player Isaiah Thomas. Um, Channing Frye is definitely going to get bought out. Um, as far as Isaiah Thomas goes, possibly he could, but oh my God, what's up? Possibly that he could, but at the same time, there has been talk that they want to keep him as a two-guard and whatnot, but I don't really see that. I think he'll end up becoming an issue for them, become a locker room cancer and whatnot. So for the Lakers, again, you're clearing money. You're taking in two expiring contracts. You're at 47 mil right now in cap space for this coming summer. In the event that you uh, stretch the wall dang, that takes a $17 million cap hit for next year, turns it to $9 mil a year. So that gets you up to 56. And then from there... If you were able to let Julius Randle walk and lose his cap hold, that could get you up to 60. So you could use that money this offseason, and you could sign LeBron James and Paul George. You could sign one of those guys this offseason and be a player in 2019 for Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, or Jimmy Butler. If that doesn't work out, you could sign a bunch of mid-level guys. So really, it was just a matter of clearing that money, and in doing so, they got a first-round pick towards the end of the round. Again, you hope for a rotational player, but we saw this past, uh, this past draft what they were able to get with the 27th pick in Kyle Kuzma, a guy who's going to be a starter for them moving forward. So, great trade for the Cavs to upgrade in those two spots. And for the Lakers, could potentially be fantastic in allowing the ability to sign two max free agents. And then, the second of the Cavs' significant trades. For me, I thought this was the best trade that they made of the entire day. It was the three-team trade with them, Utah, and Sacramento. So, they acquired Rodney Hood and George Hill, Rodney Hood, a young shooting guard, has sort of been bothered by injuries this season, had a hand problem, Uh, he'll miss a couple games here and there, but at the same time is shooting 39% from three, averaging 17 points per game. Only 25 years old, an RFA this upcoming offseason, Utah was sort of wishy-washy on if they had wanted to re-sign him or keep him for the long haul, and obviously they committed to not doing so. Cleveland bringing in Rodney Hood on uh, at the wing. J.R. Smith has been having a suboptimal season so far. He's had the worst year of his entire career since the Cavs had gotten him. Uh, Dwayne Wade obviously traded for a second-round pick, but even he was sort of a dead-body, older guy who wasn't really contributing at the wing either. Cedai Osman, young player, has potential, but is not the type of player that you want to be giving consistent, significant minutes to for the Cavs team that they have right now, a playoff team, a team that wants to get to the finals. So I love getting Rodney Hood. I think it's a significant positive for them. And then George Hill also. Yes, George Hill is making 19 mil this year, 18 mil the year after that, uh, 20 mil in the third year with a guarantee of only 2 mil. So you can let that go or use it as a significant trade chip. But you're turning the point guard position, which had Isaiah Thomas as the starter, and you have two options now in Jordan Clarkson and George Hill, two guys who can play with the ball in their hands, can shoot from three consistently, uh, you're not going to get much defensively from George Hill, but for a team that's trying to go for it now, for a team that wants to get to the finals this season, 
George Hill is the perfect player that you'd want. Nice veteran presence and someone who won't be tradable next year, but in the third year could definitely be tradable. And in, and to get them, they really gave up nothing of significance here. You know, Jay Crowder, who is this lauded as this significant trade asset with his cheap contract and his ability to shoot threes, play two positions, guard significant players on the perimeter, he really hadn't done that this year. He, his three-point shooting was very poor. He was not playing significant minutes late in games. And it was almost better for them if they could take his small contract, take his versatility and the value that he still retains, and try to improve. And that's what they did. Switching out Crowder for Hood gives you a score on the perimeter, which they desperately need. Gives you a versatile player who can play the two or the three, more suited for the two. And again, it just gives you more shooting and more offensive viability. Derrick Rose, they also traded. Derrick Rose had gone AWOL for two weeks, and we ended up finding out now that he was getting married and going on his honeymoon when he was off. He was not contributing any to this, anything to this team. He was leaving the team for own personal reasons for two weeks. Amon Shumpert, they also traded. Um, he ended up on Sacramento in this trade, and I was very disappointed in Shumpert's tenure, I guess, how he ended up becoming basically their 10th or 11th, 12th man not getting any minutes whatsoever, an albatross of a contract making 11 mil this year and next. He ended up on Sacramento. Joe Johnson as well ended up from moving from Utah to Sacramento. He'll get bought out. But, man, Joe Johnson, he requested a trade. He wanted out, and he ended up on Sacramento. Poor guy. But still, when he gets bought out by Sacramento, as will be the case when Channing Fry gets bought out by Los Angeles, they're going to have a significant amount of suitors, especially for Joe Johnson. You look at Boston. You look at Golden State even. You look at, excuse me, you look at, I think those two would be significant suitors for him. I think Channing Fry, Golden State would love to get him. They could have another shooter playing at the five. They'd be even more unguardable on the perimeter with their outside shooting. Um, I really didn't understand why Sacramento had signed George Hill in the first place in the offseason, uh, especially with where they were at this year and their need to be as bad as possible. I don't like wasting a roster spot on a veteran. But now, in trading him, you know, they got the second-round pick from Cleveland in 2020, which will probably be an insignificant pick as is. Joe Johnson's an expiring contract who you'll buy out. But now you have Amon Shumpert this year and next making 11 mil. He could potentially be a buyout candidate too, but there's not going to be widespread interest in him because he has not shown an ability to produce or play consistent minutes at all this season. Um, so, really, the moral of this story here is, Sacramento screwed themselves this past offseason by signing a player who should not have been getting the money he was from this team, playing in the role that he was playing on this team, had no business being on a team like this at this stage. It was going to end with them having to trade him at some point, and with the salary he was making, you'd have to take back two bodies. Not a fan of this trade whatsoever for Sacramento. Um, Sacramento then had to clear two roster spots. They waived Giorgio's Papianis, who was a first-round pick, uh, a couple years ago, he had not been playing much for them, but still, you'd rather have to keep Giorgio's Papianis than have to uh, wave him to take in Amon Shumpert. And then they also traded um, Malachi Richardson, who had started a couple games for them, to Toronto for Bruno Caboclo, who they will waive because Malachi had guaranteed money next year, whereas Bruno does not. Just a bungling of space of cap, bungling of cap space, which ended up biting them in the rear this year. Not a fan of this for Sacramento. And for Utah, I don't get you this from Utah's standpoint at all. You take Rodney Hood, you know, I get that you don't really want to commit significant money to him long-term because he has been banged up. He has missed games with injuries a lot in the couple years that he's been playing. 
but he's he's a good scorer, shooting almost forty percent from three, averaging seventeen points a game. Still only 24, 25 years old. There are plenty of teams would have been interested in this guy, if not for a rental, but to keep moving forward. You could have gotten a second round pick or two out of him. You add Joe Johnson to him, another guy you could have gotten a second round pick, uh, second round pick for, and all you got for it was Jay Crowder and Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose obviously is going to be released. Strong buyout candidate and a very likely uh, signing for uh, Minnesota because of Tom Thibodeau being their coach there. But back to Utah, I just find this to be a significantly underwhelming return. Jay Crowder having a down season, the, the lore of his contract and what he once was, I think, took precedent in this deal as opposed to what he is. He has not shown an ability to shoot the ball well this year. He has not shown the ability... Um, to be the lockdown defender that he was or to be a significant versatile weapon that he was with Boston last year. This, this is just very much selling low on two guys who you could have gotten more for individually and you package them together and that is all you could get. Very, very disappointed in this from Utah's standpoint. And the third trade that, and then the trade that came out of this towards the end, and this would be the last bit on the Cavs and sort of like recap as a whole, um, sending Dwayne Wade to Miami for a heavily protected second-round pick. This is basically a goodwill sort of thing. Um, Wade pro- Wade had wanted to, Brian Winhorst had tweeted that Wade had wanted to go back to Miami for some time. His role was obviously getting reduced. C. D. Osman was getting minutes over him. J.R. was getting minutes over him, and they just brought in Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and George Hill. You know, they have options who can play one and two, and they have guys who play strictly at the two and a little bit at the three. Wade was going to be phased out and have a significantly reduced role. So good on them for trading Wade, letting him go back to Miami where he wants to be. Not really sure how he fits, though, with Miami. He is the franchise player, for, or was once the franchise player for Miami, is beloved there, is going to be a Hall of Famer, made his career there, and is going to be beloved once again. But Miami as a whole, they play hard, they play scrappy, they play tough-nosed defense. I don't really get how he goes along with that. He's older, he plays slow and methodical, has to have the ball in his hands to really significantly contribute. I'm not sure I'm crazy about his fit there, but again, they got him for so little and he's so beloved there and he loves the city that I guess it was almost like a why not. You look at it from the Cavs, as a whole, you took Isaiah Thomas, Channing Fry, you took Jay Crowder, you took Amon Chumper, you took Derrick Rose, and the late 2018 first that was their own, and you turned it into George Hill, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance. Two roster spots, which one is reportedly going to be filled by Kendrick Perkins. But with the buyout market that's going to be available, you'll have players like Brooke Lopez getting bought out. Players like Jane, uh, Joe Johnson getting bought out. Maybe Marco Bellinelli. Maybe Ursan Ilyasova. Uh, maybe Joe Kim Noah. Guys like that taking up that last roster spot as opposed to someone like Shumper who is never going to get any minutes whatsoever. That's a huge plus for the Cavs. I think every player they sent out and took in, if you just compare it on a player-to-player basis, they upgraded in every single instance. Channing Fry to Larry Nance is an upgrade. Isaiah Thomas to George Hill is an upgrade. Shumpert to Clarkson, upgrade. Jay Crowder, um, losing him and Derrick Rose, but you're going to be able to sign someone of like a Brooke Lopez or a Joe Johnson uh, caliber, that's fine. And I, the biggest cost here was a pick that is between 24 and 28. I, this is a significant win for the Cavs. I personally think they had a brilliant, brilliant trade deadline. They upgraded. They got more athletic. They got more versatile. They got younger. They have fresher bodies. They have more shooting. They have more offensive firepower. They improved defensively. They improved in every aspect of the game. 
They built a team that could not only have a better chance of making the finals this year, but based on the parts and the ages and the contract sort of situations that a lot of the players have, they could keep this team and move forward and have a sustainable team pending re-signing LeBron that could make the finals and deep playoff runs moving forward. You know, you could have Rodney Hood a couple years. You could have Rodney Hood for three or four years moving forward. Larry Nance, three or four years moving forward. You have Jordan Clarkson um, for two more years after this. You have George Hill for at least one, maybe two years after this. These are players that could be locked in to help you moving forward. These could be players that if LeBron leaves, you could trade for to get something back and to spearhead a rebuilding process. But this is a team that is built to make the finals. You have versatility and lineup optionality. Um, you have guys who can guard multiple positions, can play multiple positions. You could play super small. You could play fast. You could play defensively. I think this just really gives the Cavs a lot of needed attributes as far as defensively, as far as versatility, playmaking, everything you could name. It improves them in so many different ways. And then going back to the Lakers again, um, I was I, I really think that if they don't bring in the max free agents that they have set themselves up to bring in. Um, you know, Larry Nance is a good, young, athletic player. I know they have Kyle Kuzma. I know they have Julius Randle, who they're probably going to let walk in the offseason, which is another shame. He's a good. These are good young players who are just kind of being cast aside because of the idea of being able to potentially sign two max free agents. Uh, what, you know, if let's say that the this, this Cavs team... Um, Plays great, makes the finals. LeBron says, all right, I like what we have here. I don't want to leave Cleveland again. I'm re-signing. There goes one of your max free agent options. Paul George with OKC. OKC has been great to Paul George. He loves playing there. Um, they're playing fantastic. They're going to be a 4 or 5 seed in the West. Their better chance in the short term to win and to make deep playoff runs than Los Angeles is. So... I think Paul George could very well and probably will end up re-signing with Oklahoma City. So that's two guys you miss out on this offseason. And who's to say Kawhi Leonard won't want to re-sign with the Spurs in 2019 or that Klay Thompson will even want to leave his situation in Golden State? And Jimmy Butler, if Minnesota keeps playing like this as a three-seed in the West, as a significantly uh, dominant defensive team who at the offensive end is spearheaded by Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, a team that is built to last for the long haul, why would he want to leave that? I think there's room for this to be great for the Lakers and room for them to get two max free agents, but I could easily see them striking out on every single one of these big-time guys and having cast aside, you know, with the D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov trade, you cast aside D'Angelo Russell, Larry Nance, probably eventually Julius Randle, and Jordan Clarkson for what will event of, basically will have ended up being Kyle Kuzma, whatever they turn the Cavs pick into. Um... So it's really it's a to-be-determined with the Lakers. It's an upgrade all around for Cleveland. An absolutely amazing job by Kobe Altman to take a team that had significant flaws, had chemistry issues, was really just spiraling down. Even though they beat Minnesota the other day, they needed significant change. And Kobe Altman was able to keep the Brooklyn pick, a pick that is 1.5, one and a half games out from being the first overall pick in the draft, a significant, significant asset that never, ever had any business being traded regardless of the player that they were getting back within this market. They traded away their late first-round pick. They kept core. They kept, obviously, their two All-Stars in LeBron and Kevin Love as if they were ever going to get rid of them and surrounded them with guys who fit them better, can help the team move forward 
with more versatility. I'm repeating myself, but basically more versatility, playmaking ability, and defensive ability. I, I can't get over just how great of a job Kobe Altman did and how he took a team in a terrible situation with awful perception, awful optics, and awful locker room situation and just turned it into something completely new. And LeBron James now, it's on him. He has everything that he could possibly want surrounding him as far as players who can shoot, players who can defend position, multiple positions, players who can play big, can play small. This is the optimal team for the Cavs to make it back to the finals and be able to defeat Boston and Toronto in the Eastern Conference. So it's on LeBron now. I can't say enough good things, but we'll have to see how it translates on the court. The only concern is maybe it could take some time to gel. There's, you know, six players sent out, four coming in. Kendrick Perkins being the fifth, being signed, and potentially Brooke Lopez or Joe Johnson as the sixth. It could take some time for them to gel, but once they do, this is a team that can go a long way. Will it be Golden State? Absolutely not. But this gives them a great chance to make it to the finals and make it out of the Eastern Conference. One thing that um, this afternoon, the ESPN had sort of had a three-hour coverage of the trade deadline with the jump. Fantastic show with Rachel Nichols, uh, Tracy McGrady, Scotty Pippen, Brian Windhorst, and all that. And they had talked about Isaiah Thomas and him starting on the Lakers. Um, And Rachel got a text from Isaiah Thomas's agent in all caps saying, Isaiah Thomas will not come off the bench. He's a prideful guy, but he has not lived up to the player that he thinks he is on the court this year. I think that the Lakers need to buy him out before he becomes a cancer in their locker room, which you can already see. When things go bad and he doesn't get the minutes and the role that he wants, with LeVar Ball being there, talking all he does within the media, when Le- when Lonzo gets started in front of him and Isaiah questions it and LeVar talks crap about it, it's going to be bad. Um, the idea that they've sort of preached today with Luke Walton and uh, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka saying that Isaiah can stretch the floor next to Lonzo, play the two and whatnot... That's just not feasible. Absolutely not. They will get torched defensively with that lineup. Um, they I, they got to buy him out. I don't see any way that that's not going to end with a lot of just absolute chaos and further sort of um, provoking of the, la- the LeVar Ball monster that may potentially be dissuading Max for agents that they are so desperately trying to position themselves to be able to acquire may, may turn them against signing with them. So... We shall see uh, there. Moving away from the Cavs, talked so much about that. The biggest story of the day, but moving away from them, a uh, few other observations I had. First, um, the New York Knicks uh, trading Doug McDermott in a second-round pick for Emmanuel Moutier. Look, Moutier, the idea of Emmanuel Moutier has always been better than the reality of it. He's 6'6", he's big, he's physical, he's athletic. He's not good. He can't shoot. He doesn't have a defined game offensively. Other than being big, he's not that great defensively. When I originally had seen the trade, it had not listed the second-round pick with it. So if it was a Doug McDermott from uh, Moutier trade in a nutshell for the Knicks, then that's fine because Doug McDermott's not going to be re-signed long-term anyway. But to give up a second-round pick along with McDermott for Moutier when a second-round pick was able to get Phoenix, Alfred Payton, a much better player than Moutier. I'm just not a big fan of the asset management that the Knicks put forth. I don't really see Moutier being a long-term piece with them. He's an RFA after the season. Uh, Unless it's a very, very low figure, I don't really see them keeping him. He's a very similar player, um, I guess, in size and defense, and I guess in the lack of offensive ability to Frank uh, Frank Neal Aquina. 
Um, he's not going to get be getting minutes over Jared Jack or Trey Burke, so it just gives him another fourth point guard who may not be playing much and doesn't really add anything to them. It's kind of a waste of a second-round pick, which I know a second-round pick can end up being really insignificant in the long run, but still every asset counts, and you have to manage them to their fullest capabilities. I don't think the Knicks did that today. However, the trade yesterday, getting uh, trading Willie Hernan Gomez to Charlotte for a 2020 and 2021 second-round pick, that was a fantastic use of assets. I know a lot of Knicks fans have been really sort of really peeved that they traded Willie Hernan Gomez, but the guy was not playing at all this year. You really didn't know how good he was. Yes, he was all-rookie first team last year, but he really, I think, had a ceiling of just a backup center. Charlotte, Kemba Walker's contract expires in 2019. A lot of their team that they have now expires in 2020 uh, and 2021. So those picks could be very, very high second-round picks, which are always useful. The quality of player that you'll get in the early first, early second round between 30 and 37 or so is equivalent to the quality of player you'll get between 25 and 30 in the first round, and you get them without the rookie-scale contract that they're required to get in the first round. So that could be, since they ended up trading two second-round picks to get Hernan Gomez a couple years ago, they basically traded him for what they traded to get him. That could end up being very good in the long run for the Knicks, but I'm not a fan of the Moutier trade that they pulled today. Um, the Brooklyn Nets made one small trade, uh, trading Rashad Vaughn for Dante Cunningham. I was a little surprised to see this one. You know, Dante Cunningham had, you know, Dante Cunningham is a, he's not a great player, nothing of significance, but he had been getting minutes on that New Orleans team, whereas Rashad Vaughn was a filler player for, uh, for Milwaukee before he was traded to Brooklyn for Tyler Zeller yesterday, along with the second round pick. So looking at it from, uh, the Nets standpoint, they turned Tyler Zeller into a second round pick and Dante Cunningham. Fantastic. Cunningham's a guy who they can keep moving forward. He's just a decent body who can play the four and the three a little bit. They got a second round pick out of Tyler Zeller, which is great because he was not a long term piece for them moving forward. So great job again by Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets. I was a little surprised to see them not um, try to cash in on Joe Harris before he becomes a free agent this offseason. I think they easily could have gotten a second round pick for him. I was a little surprised to see them not try to. Um, there's a rumored deal between them and in Indiana, um, where um, Indiana was trying to take on um, Damari Carroll in exchange for Al Jefferson, there would have been picks involved. Uh, I guess the picks were not to the advantage that Brooklyn would have liked. But again, Brooklyn making use of the limited assets that they have. um, Big fan of what they are doing. I think Shaw Marks has done a phenomenal job with them. You look at the team they have, D'Angelo Russell, before he got hurt, looked like the guy. Spencer Didwitty is having a great season. Damari Carroll's having a career resurgence, could be tradable in the offseason. Alan Crabb is a great shooter. You can't help but like what they're doing in Brooklyn. Yes, they're not a good team and are in the bottom 10 of the NBA, one one and a half games out from having the worst record. But with the situation in the hands that they were dealt, they have done a fantastic job with gaining assets, fielding guys who they can take into the long term with them once they're able to build their true team. Um, I guess my big value deal of the day was probably the last significant trade that had come in um, before the 3 o'clock buzzer. And that was Phoenix trading uh, Memphis's second-round pick for Alfred Payton. Um, Alfred Payton, obviously, going to be a free agent this offseason. Orlando was not willing to commit to him long-term, and I completely agree with that. I think he puts up a lot of empty stats. He can rebound and pass and score, but he can't. He, he puts up a lot of stats within those categories, but he's not an outside shooter. He has the ball in his hands a lot, which allows him to sort of have an inflated statistical, um, I mean, inflated statistics. I've never been big on him 
Phoenix just desperately needs a point guard. I personally, I, I, I guess that Memphis, if that pick ends up being between, I guess, if they end up being around the 7th, 8th, ninth pick, and their pick ends up being the 37th, 38th, or 39th pick, and you give that up for Alfred Payton, that's fine. I don't really see there being a market whatsoever for Alfred Payton as a free agent this offseason. So you'd probably only be having to pay him around like the mid-level, about like 5 mil, 6 mil a year. So if Phoenix can keep him for like two years at that price, maybe three years, um, eventually turn him into the backup point guard to the point guard of their future, which they still need to get for the price that they gave up, I think that would be fine. Again, I'm not crazy about Alfred Payton, but with the need that they had and the low price it cost him, I am a fan of this trade. I think the two things for me, though, that stand out as far as non-trades, first off, it's got to be Tyreek Evans with Memphis. Um, Memphis totally screwed up by not trading Tyreek Evans, a player who will only contribute to the team positively this year, which is a net negative because it's going to ensure that their pick is not as low as it can be. A player who is probably going to walk after the season. He's an expiring contract. They just benched him for five games in hopes of trading him and didn't. They can only offer him the mid-level exception. He'll probably get a little bit more than that. So they had been banking on getting a first-round pick, a first-round pick, a first-round pick, when the market had totally deemed first-round picks off-limits unless you were taking on money, which they refused to do. They had offers of two second-round picks and Gershon Yabusele from Boston. They had offer of a second-round pick um, plus a player from the Sixers. They had an offer of a second-round pick and Moutier from Denver. They could have gotten themselves two or three second-round picks or a second-round pick and a somewhat decent young player. That offer from Boston, two seconds, and Yabu is a fantastic offer for an expiring player like Tyreek Evans. And they held on to him. You're going to lose a player like Tyreek Evans who's having the best year of his career outside of his rookie year, a career that's been plagued by injuries and inefficient playing and disappointment, and you're going to squander that because you were so hell-bent on getting a first-round pick that would have been, if in the case of Boston, around the 27th pick, as opposed to taking a second-round pick, that would have been about, what, 35th, 36th? The quality of player there is not that much different. And you would have gotten Yabusele on top of that and another second-round pick. There's no, I don't see Tyreek resigning with them, and I think that they just lost an asset that they could have gotten multiple pieces back for. An absolutely terrible, terrible mismanagement of assets by Chris Wallace. Uh, and the Memphis front office. And also, I don't understand their complete uh, their their evaluation of Marcus Gasol as untouchable. 33-year-old Marcus Gasol, great player, obviously on the downside of his career and is only going to deteriorate as time goes on. He's 33 years old. He's had injury issues in the past. A team like Cleveland would have been highly interested in him. He would have been able to have fetched you a first-round pick on the trade market. The more you hold on to a guy like Marcus Gasol, when you ultimately end up having to get rid of him, you will either lose him for nothing because you will let him walk or you'll trade him for significantly less than you could have gotten for him previously. That is what's going to happen with Memphis. They they missed out on getting multiple seconds for Evans. They missed out on not getting a first-round pick or a young player for Marcus Gasol. This idea that they can get a high pick this year and then be a playoff team next year when Gasol will be on the downturn, when Conley will have missed basically all of this season and we'll have just been coming back next year. They'll be older. They'll at most be an 8 or 7 seed, and we'll get swept and destroyed in the first round by Golden State or Houston. That should not be your long-term goal. They should have traded Gasol for what they could have gotten for him now. They should have traded Evans for what they could have gotten for him now. Really, they should have just taken that Boston offer. Played out the season and been as bad as you possibly could. Without Marc Gasol, that team is the worst team in the NBA for the rest. Is 
for the rest of the season. I think that they surpass Atlanta as being the worst on-court team. Instead, you keep Tyreek Evans because, oh, you want the first-round pick that was never coming. You keep Marcus Gasol because he's untouchable because why? I don't know. And you're going to base what's going to end up happening here is I could easily see them being stuck. They're right now they're seventh in the lottery standings. They're not going to be able to crack the top four threshold. They're going to end up getting a player from the second tier in the draft when they really need a first tier player to go along with Conley and Gasol to make the playoffs and get obliterated in the first round, which I guess is their long term goal. So by trade not trading Tyreek Evans, lost out on assets, kept yourself better for this year when you need to be as bad as possible. Just absolutely terrible. The biggest losers of this trade deadline by far, Memphis Grizzlies, by not trading Tyreek Evans. Um, I was personally not surprised whatsoever by DeAndre Jordan not getting traded. Um, I don't really see, based on what his salary was and the teams that were interested in him, You know, Cleveland, once they had made the trades with the Lakers, there was no way they could have traded for him. Toronto had interest, but that really didn't make any sense. They would have needed a third team to come in, would have gotten too complicated. Plus, Toronto's got a really good thing going with their... In my opinion, the best bench in the NBA, full of the young players that they've drafted and signed in the past few years. Um, Washington had interest, but again, that would have involved Gortat coming back. I don't think the Clippers wanted... I think this is the big principle for why a trade didn't happen. The Clippers would rather let him walk than take on long-term money to get a minimal asset. Their end game, regardless of what they say, I think is to have max space this summer or next to be able to sign a max free agent to go along with a bunch of solid level players in Lou Williams and Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris and Milos Tadosic and Patrick Beverly if they are still there. Um, I think they're perfectly content with looking at DeAndre Jordan and saying, you know, we'll keep DeAndre Jordan if we can get him for three years at about 16 or 17 million a year. And if he doesn't want that, we can let him walk. We're not taking on long-term money just to get a pick that'll be in the twenties. It's not worth it. Um, so I'm not surprised by that because again, you look at Cleveland. Even if Cleveland had been willing to, had kept, or had been able to trade their pick to Los Angeles, why why would the Clippers take Tristan Thompson's 16 million dollar a year contract just for a pick that'll be between 25 and 28? Why would they take Martin Gortat's 12 million a year salary for the next couple of years just to get a pick that will probably be between 20 and 25? Same thing for Toronto. They would have had to take back Valanchunas. A third team would have had to throw some money in. It's just not worth it for the Clippers. The Clippers' endgame, since they're obviously not willing to go all the way to the bottom and sell off players for anything they can get, is to just retain enough flexibility that you're able to add a big fish or trade for one and not take up your money as a result of taking on assets that really won't turn out to be as high as they're currently valued as. Um, I really expect them, and I could honestly see the Clippers being able to re-sign DeAndre at the 16 or $17 million uh, figure because look at the market he's going to have. What team is going to pay $20 million a year for DeAndre Jordan? There's very few teams that have space. There's very few teams that have a need for a center that are of the elite level that would want to sign him. And there's very few teams of the elite level who would want to sign him, like Toronto or Washington, they have no way that they can get him unless it's a sign-and-trade, which, again, like we said, the Clippers do not want to take on long-term money. So I, I honestly end up thinking that the Clippers will be able to retain DeAndre for about three years and 51 mil, so it's, it's more worth it for them to have held on to him instead of trading him for a low-level first-round pick. Um, I was surprised, though, by them being able to keep Lou Williams at such a low price of $8 million a year moving forward. Um... 
you know, if he probably could have gotten about nine or ten mil on the open market. But at the same time, I guess he wanted the stability of staying in Los Angeles. And that is a very tradable contract moving forward if the Clippers want to trade him. He's obviously the sixth man of the year. He plays. He, he's a tradable player every single year based on the role that he is in and the need that um, playoff-level contending teams have for bench scoring and shooting every single year. So I love it for Los Angeles. They either keep him on a good contract and he's yours, or you can trade him moving forward. Absolutely love it. I think that there's going to be a really, really robust buyout market that's going to be coming in the next three weeks. Again, as we mentioned, Brooke Lopez, potentially Isaiah Thomas, or should be Isaiah Thomas, Channing Frye, Joe Johnson, Derek Rose. You know, Atlanta, Atlanta's trying to be as bad as they possibly can. They couldn't move a lot of their guys. Well, they buy out Marco Bellinelli, uh, Dwayne Dedman, Ursan Eliasova, guys like that. Um, there's a lot of, Iman Shumpert, would Sacramento buy him out? And then, Again, not a significant contributor, but a better body than a lot of guys have at the at the ends of their bench, or a lot of teams have at the end of their bench in the playoffs right now. So, again, the buyout market really could be more significant than a lot of the pieces that were moved today because outside of the Cavs trades, you look at the pieces that are moved today, Jameer Nelson to the Pistons as a backup point guard um, going to from Chicago to Detroit for Willie Reed in a second-round pick. You know, for Detroit, that's a good trade because Willie Reed was not going to get any minutes whatsoever. Uh, 2022 second-round pick again. So far in the future, you don't even know what that's going to be. Nelson is a solid presence at point guard. Reggie Jackson is hurt. Um, so you have Jameer Nelson to take pressure off of Ish Smith while Jackson is out because they need to continue that push that they are making ever since they got Blake. They have not lost. They're looking like a transformed team. They're tied to the eighth spot right now. They got James Ennis as well from uh, Memphis. Again, just a solid uh, depth move. Bryce Johnson was not going to get much minutes either. They took guys who were at the end of their bench who were not going to be contributors, took second-round picks, which they were not going to make significant use of anyway, got themselves two players who can contribute as far as being backups and contributing depth. So, good day for Detroit as well. The inactivity from the Sixers surprised me a little bit. I know that they probably really, really wanted Tyreek Evans had offered multiple second-round picks to get him. You know, if Memphis was smart, they probably would have taken an offer from them or from Boston, as I previously mentioned. But, you know, I thought that someone like Marco Bellinelli or Mario Hozonio would be a significant interest to them just to have a bench shooter. That's something they truly lack and need. But again, you know, maybe Marco Bellinelli gets bought out. Maybe Mario Hozonio gets bought out. Who knows? I think the Sixers will really focus, and that's what a lot of their beat writers have been saying, is they're going to focus their efforts towards the buyout market to improve their team, to add to the bench, to add a perimeter shooter or scorer. And then one last thing, we got to pour one out on this one. Bruno Caboclo, the era of the Brazilian KD, who was two years away from being two years away, traded to Sacramento, as I mentioned earlier, from Alakai Richardson and immediately released. Uh, end of an era for Bruno Caboclo. Pour one out if you're a Raptors fan in Dot. It's a shame. I mean, he like again. It was such an unknown when they picked him, but there was there was a lot of upside there. A guy with that much size and athletic ability and the ability to shoot from the outside. He just never put it together, and it's really just been a G League lifer. Um, I actually saw him play a couple weeks ago, and the guy just doesn't really have it together. And in his fourth season as a pro, you have to cut bait and you have to let go of the idea of what you think he can be because it's obvious he's never going to reach that. Um, Portland finally got under luxury tax today, trading Noah Vonley to the Bulls 
for the rights to a European player who will never come to the NBA, Milo Kan Rakovic. Again, it's a little disappointing to see Vonley be reduced to the point of being a salary dump to avoid the luxury tax, but he's only 22. For a team like Chicago, this is the type of move you have to be making, taking flyers on guys who are young still and could potentially maybe be something just because they're young. You know, trading guy like Jameer Nelson just to get accumulation of second-round picks. Um, so good on Chicago making those small moves today in addition to being smart and taking on um, Omer Sheik's contract to get a first for Nikola Miritich a few days ago. So again, for them, very good trade deadline. They did the right things. They made their team worse for now to get themselves a higher draft pick, and they took on some second-round picks, which could be of use moving forward. Um, overall... Pretty exciting trade deadline. Better than I thought it would be. Out, out, or over-exceeded my expectations. And, you know, the trade deadline's got to be one of the best days of the year, every single year. Uh, this had nothing on the 2015 trade deadline, uh, for those who I'm close to. Very, very, very fond memory uh, that I'll have always for my years as a day one Sixers process truster. No trades happening all day. The deadline's at 3 o'clock. I go in for a test at 2.15 to 3.10, come out, and there's been about, um, I think it was 25 trades in the last 20 minutes of the deadline. The Sixers had traded Carter Williams. They didn't know what team Isaiah Thomas was on. KJ McDaniels got traded. The Lakers pick was involved. Brandon Knight had gotten traded. That big three-team trade with the Sixers, Lakers, and Bucks, or Sixers, Phoenix, and Bucks. Um, the Knicks ended up trading Pablo Prigioni. Reggie Jackson got traded to Oklahoma City or from Oklahoma City to Detroit. It was just absolute chaos. And it was really disappointing because nothing happened all day. So I went into that test thinking, all right, nothing's going to happen here. It's been a whole hum deadline, whatever. And I came out of that room and I had a friend who's a year older who's in a different class next door. And I heard him screaming. So I was like, okay, that's a little weird. And man, it had just, that's got to be one of my most fond memories as a whole of just being a significant basketball fan for so long. The ability that the trade deadline has to bring so much chaos and just craziness, it's really unparalleled. Um, as far as breaking the news and the scoops on Twitter, we got a big reporter rivalry in the NBA. We got Shams and Woj. Woj owned the trade deadline. I know in the summer, Shams had a lot of the free agent scoops ahead of Woj. But Woj, Woj showed why he is the vet, why Woj is the guy when it comes to breaking scoops, to coming up with the trades and the signings and whatnot. Obviously, Woj has the sources within the front offices, while Shams is more in tune with the agents. But man, Woj had every deal possible today. The first trade that Shams even broke today was the minimal trade of Bruno Caboclo from Malachi Richardson. Woj was on top of his game, so the reporter rivalry. Summer free agency went to Shams. Trade deadline went to Woj. It's 1-1, going for the best of three. Who's going to win the draft between Shams and Woj? So yeah, that's about that for today's amazing trade deadline. Looking around the rest of the sports world, we had a big signing in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, San Francisco 49ers, the highest paid player in the NFL. A five-year deal for $137.5 million dollars. $71 million guaranteed and on the surface when you see that you say okay yes that's a lot of money to pay Jimmy Garoppolo for such a small sample size yes it's a lot for a guy who only started um, about four or five games in this past season but when you have young franchise quarterbacks up for contracts the market dictates 
that the standard second contract is then becoming the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. So it happened with Derek Carr for a brief period of time. So it happened with Matthew Stafford. So it happened with Joe Flacco. So it happened to Colin Kaepernick. It happens to all of these guys. San Francisco had only uh, the only option San Francisco had if they did not want to franchise tag Garoppolo consistently year after year was to make him in the short term the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And to people that are complaining and ho humming about it and whatnot, you just have to understand the, how the market works and how pricey and how difficult it is to retain a franchise quarterback who is at that level at that age. They could have franchised him three years in a row, paid him what would have ended up being about $75 million. But to have the long-term security of keeping Jimmy Garoppolo intact, you gave up a second-round pick for him, which in the scope of what it takes to get a franchise quarterback is not much, but in the scope of draft capital for a rebuilding team is significant, one of the first 10 picks of the second round. You have to commit everything to Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's what they did. You know, you couldn't have asked for anything better from him. He didn't lose a game when he started for them this past season. He has every tool you could possibly want. He's super young. He's only going to get better. So I love this for San Francisco. Obviously, mad props to Jimmy Garoppolo because he's the highest-paid player in the NFL for the time being until another until Kirk Cousins signs his contract in free agency. But that's another story. Um, so for those criticizing it, I think they really just need to gain a deeper understanding of it because San Francisco had no other choice. You're obviously keeping him. You're obviously keeping him long-term. You want to franchise him every year, or do you want to just get it over with and sign him long-term for a contract that will be usurped anyway? The longer you wait, the more Jimmy would have gotten paid based on how much other quarterbacks would have gotten paid. So it looks like a lot now, but in two years from now, they will have saved themselves not a significant amount per year, but they will have saved themselves a certain amount of cap per year of that contract. All right, we've been on this show for nearly an hour at this point. Uh, for all the new podcast listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed this show. And for all of the current listeners on the station at WSOE, again, hope you enjoyed the show as well. After the final whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington, or as listened to on podcast.com, I am Brad Clear. Um, you'll be hearing me every Thursday night from 6 to 7 p.m., here on the station or on the podcast.com whenever you access it. Um, today we had the trade deadline. We talked a little about Jimmy Garoppolo. It'll switch it up every single week. You know, next week we'll incorporate some more WWE talk, depending on what's relevant uh, regarding um, any of the four major sports. We'll talk about that as well. Next week we'll probably discuss uh, some about the MLB Players Association and the lack of signing of top free agents. I've covered that uh, my show in the first week of January, but with the new uh, spring training camp being set up for unsigned free agents, um, you know what? Let's get into that now. Yeah, let's get into that now. So, um, personally, as far as the um, lack of signing of top free agents in the MLB this offseason, the MLBPA claiming, without directly saying it, that it's collusion, a lot of players are very frustrated. I think, and I was talking about this to someone um, yesterday, it's a simple case of agents overpricing their players to the point where other teams, rather than trying to negotiate down, decided to seek other options. And the idea that player that agents can wait for the market to develop and to wait out the market, that doesn't work. What happens when you do that is you lose suitors. Teams are not going to wait forever for you. They want to show up their spot. They'll sign cheaper options early on. And the more you do that, the less leverage you have and less bargaining power you have. 
And if you don't move off of those high numbers, you can't... If you don't move off of the high numbers, teams aren't going to even be willing to negotiate down. And been doing that, you lose suitors and you're pricing out your players. Look at Eric Hosmer, right? Uh, Eric Hosmer and Scott Boris won eight years and 200 mil for him. He was never, ever getting that. He got offers of seven years for 140 mil from Kansas City and San Diego and didn't take it. That's a perfectly reasonable contract for Eric Hosmer at the player or at the position that he plays and the type of player that he is. If you look at JD Martinez, he's got offered five years, 125 mil from the Red Sox. $25 million for five years of JD Martinez is a perfectly reasonable offer. JD Martinez is not getting a six or seven year contract. He's not getting paid $30 million a year, regardless of the amazing season he just had. Jake Arrieta and you Darvish are not getting five or six year contracts at 31 years old. You know, players and agents have to realize that it gets to a point where you can ask for the world and yes, it can get negotiated down. But when you ask for too much, you just can't negotiate it down and you end up with nothing. And that is what's happened here. I have no sympathy for the players. I don't want to hear the MLPPA crying collusion and complaining about players not getting signed and teams not fulfilling their duty of being competitive. Teams are competitive. They're just smart, and they're allocating their resources in a way where they don't have to spend as much to get similar production. Eric Hosmer is not getting that much money over that over that term. J.D. Martinez, same thing. These players and agents have to be realistic. They have to realize that teams are never going to pay that. I really think that the Scott Boris bubble burst this year. Scott Boris, as I said, he always wants to play out the market. He always wants to start super high. And this year, it caught up to him and it bought him in the butt. Or bit him in the butt. How the, how the MLPPA and the teams will recover from this, I don't know. Because there is a lot of bad blood there at the moment. But again, the agents brought it upon the players. I have no sympathy there. They're setting up a spring training camp for unsigned free agents. I'm sure they'll make it a huge, huge thing to get the media at and to propone for all these players and whatnot. But... If they want to complain and they want to voice their opinions and blame people, blame it on the agents, okay? The bubble burst. GMs aren't going to shell out a ton of money or wait around for players. You know, Carlos Santana got $20 million a year back in December. or no, It was either late in November, early December. Um, if Carlos Santana waits, he's not even going to get close to $20 million a year. You got to sign early and you got to get a little bit off of what you think you're going to get. Lorenzo Cain, he got offered $16 million a year and took it instantly. That's a smart offer because it's realistic, and he was never going to get more. Lorenzo Cain was never going to get $20 million a year, and he realized that. So, you know, when these guys will sign, how will it get resolved, I don't know. But they got to stop making the woe is me, their sort of rallying cry here because it's all their own fault. All right, so that's about going to do it. No false finish here. That is the show for this week. Um, hope you enjoyed it to all the listeners listening and hope everyone listening on the podcast enjoyed the first episode that they listened to of after the final whistle. Uh, I am Brad clear, uh, next Thursday, six o'clock. I'll be on here as usual. We'll get some WWE talk in there. Um, whatever's relevant in the NFL, NBA, MLB, if anything happens with college sports, it'll be talked about. Um, you can expect the show to be similar to this every single week. We're getting super in depth. We're really going to analyze every single bit that we can. Um, and then as for the trademark ending of the show, my longtime listeners here on WSOE will know how this goes. And for all the podcast listeners, you'll find out, uh, we end the show every week with a shout out and that could be to a player, a team, executive coach, whatever within the sports world, um, or entertainment slash sports, which is where this is going. 
world uh, for remarkable accomplishments, awesome feat, or whatever. Um, today's pod or today's podcast. Today's shout out goes to the WWE. We are going to the man, the myth, the legend, Elias, getting that win on Monday Night Raw this past week over John Cena, pinning John Cena, and winning over Braun Strowman in a triple threat match to gain the sixth spot in the Elimination Chamber match um, later this month. He's firing on all cylinders right now. He's entertaining as hell with his um, concerts before his match every single week. Pin John Cena after weeks before hitting him over the hitting him with a guitar and taking him out on the 25th anniversary of Raw. Elias is the guy, man. He is the future. He gets the shout out for this week for his incredible performance in that match. As usual, you can hit me up on Twitter at brad underscore clear or at bk process um again 6 7 p.m next week here on the station or whenever you want to listen to it on podcast.com i am your host brad clear hope you all have a great rest of your day have a great rest of your week and as usual we're going to end it with the phrase goodbye and good night